Hello, and welcome to another episode of Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast that talks about all the things with a social work slant. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I am a hospice social worker. Today's conversation is going to be about death with dignity, and I want to make sure I acknowledge in the beginning that this is a difficult conversation. It's controversial, and everyone uh, that knows about it has their own opinion, and that's okay. This conversation is not going to be for or against, but simply talk about some of the definitions, talk about some of the impacts, and specifically Washington State's law, which is called the Death with Dignity Act, and that is the state that I live in, so that's the one I'm going to talk about. So I'd like to begin by talking about social work ethics. So it's important to remember as caregiving members or members of a care team that one of the ethics involved and, and one of the most important ethics for me is really the responsibility to clients having to do with self-determination. This says that social workers respect and promote the rights of clients to self-determination and assist clients in their efforts to identify and clarify their goals. We may limit the client's right to self-determination when, in the social worker's professional judgment, client's actions or potential actions pose serious, foreseeable, or imminent risks to themselves or others. And we'll get into that a little bit more specifically when I talk about other definitions, but I want to keep in mind that the most important part of that is that we're helping them realize their own self-determination, whatever that may be. Death with Dignity, as it's just referred to, or DWD, is a law that's passed generally by the voters in a particular state to allow for patients to request a lethal dose of medication for the purpose of ending one's life. And I'll get into that a little bit more when I talk about specifics of the law here. Some people have heard it called physician-assisted suicide, it used to be used synonymously, um, but most doctors really relate that more to things like Dr. Kevorkian, where the doctor is actually administering um, medications, and that's not what this is. I've also heard this called rational suicide, where someone is determined uh, sound mind, and they have a terminal illness, and although they are contemplating ending one's own life, I guess that's technically considered suicide, but in my mind, because it's not caused by things that are typically rationale for suicide would be hopelessness or lack of connection. And there's a really amazing deep dive about suicide on the Psychology in Seattle podcast if you want to get into that. I also want to briefly mention here that Death with Dignity is not euthanasia. Euthanasia, although the definition does specify that it is painlessly taking a life to end suffering, this is not the same as death with dignity. This death with dignity laws are specifically designed for people to have autonomy and self-determination. It is not someone else deciding. It is not the doctor deciding. It is not the doctor actually prescribing medication and administering medication. That would be euthanasia, like we think of with our pets when they're suffering at the end. That is not legal in any state, so euthanasia is not the same as death with dignity. 
Death with Dignity in Washington was not the first law passed. Um, actually, start with June of 1997 when the Supreme Court determined that it was not illegal for a state to ban physician-assisted suicide, but they did leave it up to the states if they wanted to allow it. Um, there are specific criteria, of course, for every state, and they're all a little bit different. But right now, there's only six states that participate. Oregon was the first. That was the fall of 1997. Then Washington and California followed suit, although California currently has a moratorium. Right now, this is November of 2018. I think that's been in place for about a year, and I'm not sure where the legal standing is, but I don't think that's been lifted quite yet. They're still battling that out in the courts. Colorado, Hawaii, and Vermont also have their own death with dignity type laws, as well as Washington, D.C. Montana does not have a specific sanctioned law, but in 2009, their Supreme Court did rule that nothing in the law prohibited doctors from prescribing that lethal dose of medication. There have been seven bills introduced since then, but none have passed in Montana. Well, so we'll see if they ever um, come around or if they just leave it to the discretion of doctors. So in Washington state, the law was passed by the voters in November 4th of 2008. So 10 years ago, we've had this happening. It took effect of March 5th of 2009. And the essentials are that a person has to be a resident of Washington state. And there are specific criteria you can look up for that. You have to be a competent adult. You have to be able to self-administer the medication. And you have to have a terminal prognosis of six months or less. Those are very specific rules. Um, there are some things that we'll get into a little bit later that talk about diseases that don't allow for this, but essentially that's what the death and dignity criteria uh, maintain. So how it works when you have the six months or less diagnosis and you decide that this is how you want to end things, you don't want death to take its natural course. You want to actually be in control of it uh, for whatever reason. You need to make an initial request to your physician, and it can be just an oral request to them where they put it in your chart that you've made the request. Eventually, within the next 15 days, you'll need to make a second oral request as well as a written request. Now, in that 15 days, you may want to discuss with your primary care doctor whether they're willing to be a prescribing doctor. You have to have two doctors participating in this process, a prescribing doctor and a consulting doctor. Your prescribing doctor may or may not be your primary care physician. The law does allow for physicians to opt out if they want to. And by the way, it does have to be a licensed medical doctor. It cannot be an ARMP. So just some things to note there. During that 15-day window, and your signed request um, really also has to do with two witnesses that will attest to the fact that you are mentally competent and that you're not being coerced to make this request by someone else's demands. Once that 15 days is complete, you've made your two oral requests and your written request, then it is an additional two days 
to wait until you get a prescription filled. And while I'm talking about prescriptions, pharmacies also have the option to opt out. So first you have to find a prescribing doctor, a consulting doctor, and a pharmacy willing to fill the prescription. I have mentioned the 15-day window. I just want to reinforce the people that that 15-day window is a minimum time frame. It is not a required time frame. So just because you make your request does not mean that you have to make your second request within 15 days. You have the option to um, expand that out. And the pharmacy can hold the prescription, I believe, up to six months. So even when you go through the first 15 days and you decide that you want to actually take the medication, uh, you don't have to pick it up right away. There's no requirement. And ultimately, you have the right to opt out at any point. You can go through the whole process and get the prescription, and you can even pay for it and pick it up and never use it. So that is always your right. The law is very clear that any of those doctors or pharmacies are able to opt out at any time due to their own um, opinions about that. There is a really amazing group in Washington State called End of Life Washington. They do have volunteers that will come out and help you through the process, and they may be able to assist you if your own primary care doctor is not willing to be the prescribing physician. So uh, I want to jump down to that six months diagnosis. If you've been listening to these first couple episodes of Someday We'll All Be Dead, you may have heard my hospice podcast. And it does talk about that six months or less prognosis. So do you have to be on hospice to use the death with dignity law? No, you do not. It's certainly helpful. You can have more support that way if you do that. But not all hospices support death with dignity. So if you think this is going to be something that you want as a choice, you really need to discuss with your care team or the hospice that you're looking at whether or not they do support the right to choose. Um, some de- hospices are affiliated with religious organizations or hospitals. So it's important to have that conversation with them as you're getting information before you sign up if you do think you want to use death with dignity. Um, not all facilities support death with dignity. So if you or your loved one is in a skilled nursing facility or assisted living facility, somewhere that they are managing the medication, it's important to know that that facility may not allow for the use of death with dignity. It has to do with regulations not to hasten death. It has to do with the fact that you've signed an agreement that they will manage your medication and you're bringing medication in from the outside. So it's not necessarily that the people that are at the facility don't want you to have self-determination. It's just that due to regulations, they you know are more liable and at risk. So they're just not willing to take that risk. So it may be something where you'd have to move to a private residence or somewhere else to be able to take that medication. Some barriers and opposition to death with dignity. So one barrier I already mentioned is that doctors and pharmacies can opt out. And that may take you a little bit longer if your own primary care physician is not willing to prescribe. Financially, that's another concern. This medication is not covered by insurance. And the last figures I heard were the range of $700 to $4,000. There's two different prescriptions that are available. 
Most doctors will prescribe the less expensive one, but that's still $700 out of private funds to pay for this medication. So that's just something to be aware of. Religion. Most of them do frown on any form of suicide regardless of the reason. So it's important to know about how you feel, how your family feels, how the care team supporting you feels. And you may get a lot of pushback if you're really set on doing death with dignity, then you may not get a lot of support from people if they have strong convictions regarding this. Family, regardless of their religious affiliation, may have their own issues with this. They may question when the time is right. They may question, you know, should should you do this? Is it the right thing? It's It's not required that you tell your family that you're doing it, but it is encouraged because it's great to have that support while you're making tough decisions like this and going through the end. And then another opposition or barrier is the type of diagnosis, which I mentioned earlier. So if you have a form of dementia or Parkinson's or Huntington's, you're often not able to access this medication because of that terminal diagnosis. At the point where you are six months or less out from death, you're usually not able to make a competent decision. And so this wouldn't be allowed for you. There are some year this year, actually, there are some efforts that I read in the Washington Post that talked about trying to expand some things like advanced directives where you can decide while you're still competent how much food or water intake you want. So um, we'll talk about voluntarily stopping eating and drinking a little bit later, but that would be kind of to help out with this situation is you, you can't make the decision to take those medications of death with dignity, but they are trying to find ways to help people who know that there's going to be a really long process of the disease, but you wouldn't be able to qualify because of the six months or less um, stipulation. I want to talk now about what death with dignity looks like in practice. So the time frame for when you actually take the medication does vary from person to person. Uh, The medication, by the way, comes in some pills that you need to break open and kind of mix together. You have to be able to drink uh, a viscous type of fluid, about four ounces, within 10 minutes. And people that have difficulty swallowing may not be able to do that. So another factor that you need to think about is being able to take all of the medication. Don't want to get stuck in a situation where you're only able to take half of it. So the time frame of when you take the medication to when it actually works and a person expires varies anywhere from 30 minutes to 18 hours. Um, That's pretty extreme. On the average from the reports I read, it's uh, one to three hours, but very often I've heard of it being about 30 minutes. And that is just looking like going to sleep and drifting off peacefully. Uh, history of failure. I only found one case when this was very first started and it might've had something to do with the medications, which have changed over time. It's been, like I said, over a decade since states have been using this law and they have come up with some different concoctions of medications. Death with dignity is not the cause of death on your death certificate. So that's an important thing to know. 
is your death certificate will list your terminal diagnosis. It's written into the law that it will be on your death certificate and that insurances would not be able to deny a claim due to trying to use suicide as a rationale. That's not the case. That's why it's specifically in the law that way. And family dynamics, like I said before, you're not required, but definitely encouraged to notify your family. They may have a more difficult time or they may be very supportive, but uh, we always encourage you to rely on your support team while you're going through this. And the care team is going to have an effect um, as you go through this. It may or may not be difficult for them. So I'm actually going to go into that a little more in a different episode. But I just want to mention that, you know, it's going to affect everyone. If if you happen to be on hospice or being receiving care, then your death would be affecting everyone regardless of how you do it. But per- people's personal feelings may come into play when it has to do with death with dignity. I did look up the statistics from the Washington State Death with Dignity Report in 2017. And so here are some statistics. There were 212 prescriptions filled, 196 people died, and only 164 of those are actually from the ingestion. So 212 prescriptions, 164 actually took the medication. That's not a very large percentage of all the people that died in Washington state, but just kind of for a a database of knowledge, uh, the average was 33 to 98 years old. 94% of them were white, which I find interesting. Um, I don't know what that has to do with if it's more cultural or social or just the access to the medications and prescribers. Uh, They also said that 75% of the population that did uh, get the prescriptions also had some college. 88% of them were at home, and 88% were also enrolled in hospice. 48% of them were male, 52 female, so that's pretty evenly split there. And in the survey that they sent out for end-of-life concerns, 90% of people wrote in that loss of autonomy was their biggest factor. They were less able to engage in activities. That was 87%. 73% reported a loss of dignity as being a concern. 56% were worried about being a burden on their family or caregivers. 46% said they were worried about losing control of bodily functions. 38% said they were worried about inadequate pain control. And that is where you really could benefit from, for example, being on hospices. They can help you relieve those symptom management problems up until the point of taking DWD. And then finally, 10% had end-of-life concerns of a financial implication of treatment. So I want to circle back around a little bit here as we're talking about this. One of the reasons for the way the law is written in that uh, 14-day waiting period or 15-day waiting period is that they want to make sure that you are making this of your own sound mind. And some of the opposition has always been these quote-unquote death panels or people feeling like they need to use death with dignity because it's going to cost their family too much. As you see, that's really not the concerns listed Um, for people that actually did use the medications, 
but it is one of the reasons the law is written the way it is and why there's a waiting period. There's that safety factor built in to make sure that people know that they're making a decision that's right for them and that no one else is making that decision for them. So other options to death with dignity. I mentioned voluntarily stopping eating and drinking earlier. That is called VSED. That can take several weeks depending on um, what your state of body is. If you're you know, a little bit overweight, or if you've been eating regularly and drinking regularly, and you're still, you know, not very far towards actively dying, and you decide to stop eating and drinking, that can take quite a while to take effect. It can also be a very challenging thing to do. If you're used to eating and drinking, you're still going to have those cravings. Towards the end of life, you will stop having, uh, the need or your body will kind of be averse to food and it may at that point be a little easier but depending on where you are in that process stopping eating and drinking can be very difficult even if you really mentally want to do it physically it may be much harder and there are death doulas that are available for that they can check in with you and sit with you and um, help you through that process if that's what you choose of course the natural disease progression is an option You can get on to hospice and get symptom management and they can treat your symptoms up to the point of death and try to make you as comfortable as possible. Certainly an option for many people. Not everyone goes on to hospice. As I said on the other podcast, not everyone needs hospice, but the main focus is to treat your symptoms holistically, both existential pain, physical pain, spiritual pain. And just make sure that you're taken care of all around. So if you choose to use natural death as an option, which most people do, then you know that you can get the support from hospice to manage your symptoms. And I would certainly encourage that. Lastly, I want to talk about ways to support. So first of all, educate yourself. Listen to this podcast, listening to other podcasts talking about it, reading up on the law in your state is important to know what your options are. You want to hear your loved ones out. If someone comes to you and says, I have this terminal diagnosis and I'm thinking about death with dignity, don't just shut it out. You know, they need someone to bounce ideas off of and they might not even be decided on it yet. Um, So you can help them by talking through the options and not just completely shutting them down if they bring it up to you, if you're opposed to it hear them out, see what their reasoning is. And maybe just by talking it through, they decide they want to use a natural disease progression. But it's important that you are there for them. There is a foundation. It's not directly connected to End of Life Washington. They're on their own. It's called the Costigan Foundation. If you really wanted to help people that are not financially able to um, use Death with Dignity, which really is a travesty in my mind as a social worker, Uh, The fact that someone wouldn't be able to pay for medications, even though it's their right to choose it, um, is pretty upsetting. So uh, the Costigan Foundation does take donations to assist people financially um, when they're not able to. And then, like I mentioned before, end-of-life volunteers are able to walk you through the process. And if you wanted to, you can always look into being a volunteer to support someone through that process. So these are all options for the death with dignity law and to support other people trying to go through that. 
Okay, everyone, we've made it through. It's been a long 23 minutes. It's been a tough conversation and maybe uh, has triggered people. Maybe people have gone through death with dignity with their loved ones or considered it with the, for themselves. I just want to check in here and make sure everyone is doing okay. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at contact at willallbedeadpodcast.com. You can look us up on Facebook at Facebook slash Someday Will All Be Dead and our website, willallbedeadpodcast.com. As we end here, I want to mention that I just watched the documentary about Mr. Rogers called Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's pretty amazing. But I just want to end on the last note that he mentions, which is love your neighbor and love yourself. That's important to remember as we go through difficult times in our life because someday... We'll all be dead.